evening, everyone. Are we on? Yes, there we are. It's good to see your, wait, let's check, smiling, smiling faces. Good to see your smiling faces. You've made it through another week, and we are here uh, to study the Word of God. Now, tonight, my friends, we're going to study, study. Now, we've been studying every night, but tonight, I'm going to need you to Use your mind very, very carefully as we study. And before we begin, I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of these truths to you. So I'm going to ask for you to bow your heads with me as we pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for being with us throughout the week and bringing us to this end of a week. And Lord, right now we're about to open the Bible, and with our natural minds, Lord, we cannot understand spiritual things. So we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth, that our minds be linked with your mind that our understanding be leaked with your understanding, that you will open to us a clear view of your dear Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you have been paying attention every night, we've been building. Some things may not look like they're connected to something else, but everything is connected. Every truth is connected to another truth, and that is no different for tonight. Tonight, we're dealing with the subject matter, the devil's worst nightmare. And you see that word at the top? What does that say at the top right there? Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, my friends, there are things that have happened in Scripture that to many, it appears random. It appears as if God is doing something. We see it we're like, oh, that's amazing. But we don't understand that everything has a connection and a cause and an effect. So we began in our study one of the other nights where we talked about the fall of Lucifer and how he was in the presence of God. He had this special fellowship with God. And as he's in the presence of God, as the anointed covering cherub, he's looking directly into God's presence and he leaves from that position and he walks out from there. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, and also verses 7 through 9, that he used his tail to deceive one-third of the stars. And we said the stars represent what, my friends? Angels. So he used his tail. We said the tail, according to Isaiah 9, verse 15, that the tail is lies. So the devil used lies to deceive one-third of the angels. And we clearly show from the Bible that when the devil was using these lies, he's lying about the character of God. He's lying about the person of God. He's lying about the government of God. And the devil had one thing on his mind. He had an eye problem. Y'all not paying attention. I'm pointing to my eye. <laughs> the devil had an eye problem. He wanted self-exaltation. He wanted the worship of God. He wanted the authority of God, but he didn't want God's character. 
And the devil deceived one-third of the angels. And my friends, he didn't stop in heaven. He actually came down to earth, and he dealt with our first parents. In fact, go with me very quickly. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read it again. Repetition is the mother of learning. In Genesis chapter 1, look at verse number 26. Notice what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. The Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our, what's it say, my friends? In our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion or rulership over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Now, this is important. Let's say you had one chance to describe God. You can only use one word to do it. And I gave you that opportunity to give me that one word. What word, think carefully, what word would you use to describe God? Love. I like Jesus too. Love. Let's use love. 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is? Very good. So when we read the text again, go back now to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let's read it one more time. This time, we're going to use the word love to describe God. Are you ready? The Bible says, and love said, let us make love in our own image. And after our likeness, and let love have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So love created love in his own image, and in the image of love created he them, male and female created he them. Are you following, my friends? So when, watch this now. Think about it. So when God is there and he's forming man in his image, the devil sees this. Listen, the devil sees that God is creating man in his image. And when he saw man, he didn't see an ordinary man. He saw God. Y'all not hearing what I'm saying. When God created man, he made man in his own image, body, mind, soul, reflecting that of his own creation. Of, of his own self, and the devil sees that, and he says, oh, I'm afraid, but then he realizes something. This isn't God, though. This looks like him, but this ain't God. So the devil comes down, and now he's seeking to dethrone, because notice what the Bible says. The Bible says right there in verse number 26, again, these little nuances are so important. It says, let him have dominion. What is dominion, my friend? Rulership. Let him have dominion. Let him have rulership. Now, this is so important when you start thinking about this, because remember, tonight is the devil's worst nightmare. So man is created in the image of God, and this man has rulership over all the earth. Love has dominion over all things that have been created. And the devil comes down, and he begins to tempt what he perceives a reflection of God. Now, the Bible says in Romans 6.16, you can write it down. You can look at it. It says, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death 
or obedience unto righteousness. So keep this in mind. The devil comes down, he tempts Eve at the tree. And she says, he, he talks to her, hey, take this fruit and make you wise. Gives you some hidden knowledge. You know, hidden knowledge is the occult. You know that, right? I'm going to give you some hidden knowledge. That's the phraseology. It's a secret knowledge, the occult. The first intimation of it is right there at Calvary. I mean, I, I, right there at the tree. So I'm going to give you the secret knowledge. She takes the fruit now. Watch now. She takes the fruit. When she takes the fruit, she eats it. She feels it exhilarated. She's like, man, I've never felt like this before. This is amazing. Kind of like what it is when people get on a high on, on cocaine or crack, right? She felt this euphoria, this, this great experience. And as she's eating the fruit, she says, well, I can't keep this to myself. I got to go give this to my husband. Now watch. It was only at the tree that the devil could tempt. Only at the tree. But when Eve ate the fruit, she now becomes a conduit. She becomes a mobile tree. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? Adam didn't go near the tree. That's not where he was. He was somewhere doing whatever he was doing. She wandered off, got the fruit, ate it, and said, let me take this to my husband. Now she becomes the conduit by which Satan used to help bring down the king of the world at that time. Now, this is why it's so important. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, last night we talked about saving our families. This is why it's so important that in our families, we don't touch anything that's unclean. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? Because what happens is if I touch unclean things and then I bring it as a conduit to my bride, I make my wife unclean. There's no such thing as secret, secret. I'm gonna, it, there's, a, there's a phraseology that's used now where people say, well, I'm just doing this with myself. I'm not hurting anybody. There is no isolation in regards to sin, brothers and sisters. It will have an effect. A man or woman that is engaged in pornographic watching, that breaks down the relationship between husband and wife. Intimacy is broken down. The connection that would normally be there is gone. There is no isolated, secret sin that has no effect on anyone else. Because if that was the case, then at the, at the garden, of, at, the, at, the garden, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, sin would have stayed right there. But it's not. Sin cannot be contained. Sin cannot be contained. It must be, y'all not, did, you hear, did you hear what that young man said? Sin cannot be contained. It must be destroyed. But God in his mercy said, I will not destroy right now. I must figure out a way to separate sin from the sinner. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because when man sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? immediate my friends it should have been automatic right then as soon as we sin we should be dying but there's a reason why we don't die right away even when we don't love God there's a reason why we don't die right away it's called grace listen the first time you did something wrong I remember I remember clearly the first time I stole um, baseball cards true story I, I went into this, the little store and I saw the baseball cards. My friends had baseball cards. I didn't have no money. So I was like, man, I got to give some cards. So I went in there. And it's funny because at the end of the day, it's not like you're taught to steal. So I went in the store, and I slipped the baseball cards up my sleeve. Yeah, there are tops. Those used to be baseball cards back in the tops. I slipped them in my sleeve, went home, slipped them out, had my first set of cards. 
Do you know what I deserve right then? Tell me, tell me what the Bible says that I deserve right then. Death. The wages of sin is death. It could be a big sin. It could be a little sin. It doesn't matter what level of sin it is. The consequence for sin immediately should be death. But God in his mercy says, not right now. He didn't understand that. He doesn't doesn't understand the impact of that, so I'm not going to let him die right now. Now, at the garden, at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God in his mercy steps in. Now, I want us to read in Genesis chapter 3. We're not going to read the whole thing, but God begins to deal with fallen man. And I want you to see something beginning at verse number 7. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 7. The Bible says, and the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were, what's it say, my friends? Naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. What did they do, my friends? Now, please, please keep this in mind. This story is a true story. But this story is a reflection of the reality of our condition. I'll say it again in a different way. This morning when you woke up, heaven wanted to have a conversation with you. He wanted to have fellowship with you. But more than often than not, what we do, we give God five minutes. Father, please bless me on this day. Please help. You know, and as we're praying, we have our hand on the door because we got to go. Right? What well, heaven wants to have fellowship with you. He wants to come close to you. So here they are. God comes as he would in the cool of the day. He comes to fellowship, but they hide themselves. Now watch what the response is of the sinner when they are encountering God. It says, and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Now, first of all, If God asks you a question, please don't think he doesn't know. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He's omniscient, right? He knows everything. There's nothing that he doesn't know. So when he asks you a question, the question is designed to help you understand your condition. Every time, when you read throughout the Bible, just watch how God asks questions. He asks a question, and the people are like, well, the only person I saw answer the question properly was John the Revelator. John the Revelator, the, the, Lord, the angel asked uh, John, who are these that are in white robes? And whence came they? And John says, thou knowest. <laughs> right? <laughs> He's he not playing with that. You know, you are asking me. So here they are. When God comes down, they're hiding. Because the nature of man, when sin comes in, changes our disposition towards God. We don't really want him. I'll tell you, the the way I know that we don't run him, and I say that as inclusive of all of us in this room, if we really wanted God, every single person in this room would confess every single solitary sin they have in their life. And we would be crying out to God and begging God to forgive us and to cleanse us. We would cry and beg. And do you know what? If we did that, God would actually manifest his presence. But the reason why he doesn't is because he knows I can only give so much tonight. He wants to give more. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, he doesn't want anything between you and us. 
He doesn't want anything between, nothing between. He desires us to be united with him. This is not a fear. And when I read these stories in the Bible and Moses is like, you know, Father, what should we do? He's like, well, part the Red Sea, put your hands up. And, you know, like, man, man, God must just love Moses. God is no respecter of persons. That's what the Bible says. If God is willing to part Red Seas for Moses, he's willing to part your Red Seas. Are you following what I'm saying? The reality is, my friends, we don't really want him. We have to examine ourselves in this regard. So he comes. The Bible says in verse number 10, and he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. So now he's blaming, yeah? Then the next verse says, and the Lord said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. There's another blaming. Blaming. The devil made me do it. You thought that was the first time in English that they did that? That was the beginning of time. And the Lord said unto the serpent, watch what the Lord says to the serpent. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I, this is the gospel right here, and I will put What's the word right there, my friends? That word enmity means hatred. So God is making a declaration. God is putting the weight on him. He said, this is on me. Say, Adam blamed his wife. (laughs) The wife blamed the serpent. And God tells the serpent, it's on me. I'm going to put enmity. I'm going to put hatred between you and that woman. Now, now, brothers and sisters, can I just be honest with you? Uh, In real life, in real time, I like sin. Somebody said, oh, the preacher said he likes sin. The, the nature of man is to like that which is not good. It is our natural tendency. We are pulled in that direction. We are bent that way. But it's interesting. We like to cover it up with fig leaves, though. You know, righteous behavior, good deeds. You know, we're, we try to help the old lady cross the street. You know, we, 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 we're kind. We give food away. That doesn't make you a Christian. You, you do understand that, right? Outward conformity to righteous behavior does not make anybody a Christian. What must take place is what God has promised. I will put, what's it say? Enmity. I will put hatred for sin in your heart. So you can't make that stuff up. You can't go like this. I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) It's not going to work. There must be something supernatural that takes place. It says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise, or the Hebrew word there is crush. It will crush thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, pause there for a moment. When the devil heard that, he began to shake. This was the beginning of his nightmare. Here was a threat from the Most High. The Most High made a threat. It was a clear promise. You're going down, Buster. I want you to see something. Go, go, go with me now back to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. We began to read this, but now I think you're getting an even clearer picture 
of this story. Back to Revelation chapter 12. Remember, the devil is afraid, and he's afraid of something. Notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12. Again, begin reading at verse number 1. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was, what to say, my friends? As soon as this child was born, tried to kill him. Because he knew that this child, no ordinary child, this child, baby Jesus, was the promise of enmity. Now listen, we're about to do some science right now. We're really going to have to help you. You're going to have to really want to pay attention to the scripture. We're going to do some science. So this God formed a, 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 a body, took on human nature, put himself in the most vulnerable position. Now, I remember when my little Pookie was born. And the Pookie, when she was born, she could fit from right here on my finger to about right here. She's a little, little stretched out completely. I could have smashed her. I could have put her, smothered her to death. I could have put a pillow over her face, and, and, but I didn't, right? Praise God. Daniel's looking at me like, Brother Waller, why are you being so gross? <laughs> I, I need you to get the point. Baby Jesus. Y'all don't understand. Do you understand this, this, is, this is marvelous, brothers and sisters. The Most High humbled himself and took on human form, but not coming as a man. He came in the most vulnerable state as a baby. And they tried to do mass killings of babies back then, as they're doing today. And Jesus survived that whole massacre. Angels directed his steps because he was on a mission. He was born with a divine purpose. Believe it or not, my friends, all of us have been born with divine purpose. You made it out of all those little guys trying to make it to the egg. You were the one that made it all the way there. A divine purpose. But let's go a little bit further. I want you now to think with me. I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. This is going to require you to use your minds very, very much so and see with your spiritual eye. The book of Hebrews, we're going to chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 7. Pay close attention. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7. The Bible says, actually let's start at verse 6, start at verse 6. It says, but one in a certain place testified, saying, what is man? that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visitest him. What is he? What, what, is the, what is the worth of this human being? Why are you so interested in mankind, God? Verse 7, 
thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. You paying attention? Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Now, based on this verse, who is wearing the crown? Man, what, what man were we talking about? Adam. Now, now who we- naturally, if I say somebody's wearing a crown, what does that make them? Royalty. Royalty. So thou made man, and he's made, there's the angels, he's made a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him, you have made him a king, you have made him royalty to rule over all creation. Are you following what I'm saying? Stay with me. This was the purpose, one of the purposes. Watch this now. It goes on to say, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Interesting. You know what? Something just came to me just now. You know, today, do anybody know what's happening today globally right now? They're having a global warming strike. You guys know about that, right? All the students in New York City were let out today. 1.1 million students, no, no school. They let them out to march because they want to protect the climate. They want to protect the environment. And I'm thinking about this. Listen, mankind, do you, do you remember, what's the guy's name? He went into, not the guy, the, there's two of them, Caleb and Joshua. Caleb and Joshua. Do you remember when Caleb and Joshua went into the promised land? And they went and they spied out the land. There were 12 spies. Caleb and Joshua were part of the 12 spies. And they went in there and said, we can take this land, right? And, and then the, t- the 10 spies were like, these are giants. We can't take the land. Now, God had already promised them that they were going to take the land, but they were like, we can't do it. Watch this. So when they say we can't do it, God steps back and he's like, okay, you're going to have to go back on another trip. <laughs> then the people are like, hold up, wait a minute. We don't want to go on a trip. We can take the land. When they decided that they wanted to take the land, they decided to do it without God. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. So what they want to do right now, what's happening in our world right now, they want to be crowned as rulers over this land, but God's not with them. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. And I, in fact, I told, my, I told myself today I'm going to spend about 50 hours going through and doing some research on this movement because there's something that's happening with it that I, I am, I'm trying to be careful not to be extreme. But by the time I'm done doing my research, before these meetings are over, I'm going to share with you what is happening and how this strike that began today, and it's going to go all the way to the 27th, how that strike is actually part of these final moves of earth's history. I'm going, to share, I'm going to share with you clearly, but it came to my mind as I'm reading this, God has given man the authority to rule at least at one point. But there's a, there's a transactional issue that we're going to read about right now. Watch this. It says in verse, again, I want to read verse 8. 
But thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see, what's it say, my friends? Not yet all things put under him. So what is Paul referencing? Paul is saying, at one point, man had the authority. He had the ability to rule over. But because he gave his, his homage to another, he no longer has the authority over all things. Are you following what I'm saying? Because what's happening? When God crowned man with glory and honor, he gave him his character. The character was the character of love. So love has dominion. Love has authority. Love has rulership. But man said, I don't want God's character. Now, you ever seen a stop sign stop anybody from going through the stop sign? No, the stop sign's right there. If the person in their heart does not want to stop at the stop sign, it's as if the stop sign's invisible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So what's happening in our world today, we're trying to put up these stop signs. We're putting up these rules. We have these agendas, but the hearts of men have no desire to be subjugated to any man's rule. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And when we try to solve the world's problems by simply making rules, we actually are compounding the issue. Watch this. Watch verse 9 now. But we see, what does it say, my friends? Jesus. This is the most wonderful name in all the book. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now watch why it says it. For the, what's it say? Suffering of death? Wait. Jesus was made a little lower than the angels for suffering. One of the key reasons why he was made a little lower than the angels. You see, my friends, if Jesus did not become a man, he could never suffer. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. So he became a man, the Bible says, for the purpose of suffering. Watch this. What else does it say? It says, for the suffering of, actually, I actually left off a word, for the suffering of, of death. Then it goes on to say, crowned with, what's it say? Glory and honor. So now he's made a little lower than the angels. He now has a crown, which we lost because we gave our crown to the devil. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Remember, know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness, Romans 6.16. So whoever you serve, that's who you Come under. Whoever you obey, that's who you come under. What else? It's, it says, crown with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for how many people, my friend? Now, this is the baffling part to me. I'm going to put it up here. First of all, for every man. We're thinking right now. So if he's going to taste death for every man, if I know, because God knows everything. Do you think he knows everything, right? He knows the end from the beginning. So if I know that you're not going to accept salvation, why would I die for you? 
Well, if I know from the beginning of time, I already know who's going to make a decision, who's not going to make a decision. I need to let it play out because you need to make your choice because he's not dictating who's saved and who's not saved. But why would I taste death for every man when I know that every man won't want to be saved? You know why? Because the tree allows for choice. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? Do you, do you remember in the Garden of Eden there was a, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do you know that if God removed the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you would never have a choice? And the only way for love to exist is if love allows for choice. That's it. So what God does, and I said this to you the other night, what God does, he says, I'm going to let you have a knowledge of good and evil. You want to know evil? Feel free. Go ahead. Enjoy it. Whatever you want to do. Humanity, experience as live it up. Do your thing. Do what you want to do. Isn't that a song or something? And as that's there, as you're experiencing evil, you're having this great time, at one moment in your life, you're going to say, evil's actually not good. Evil actually does not provide the peace and the joy and the satisfaction that I thought I wanted. Then you're going to want good. But what we want in this world right now, we want a little yin and a little yang. We We want a little darkness and a lot of light or a lot of darkness and a little light. And God doesn't work that way, my friends. I'm telling you right now, God is in the mode, and I'm going to, listen, when I get to this point, I'm going to show you how God's going to separate sin from the sinner. I'm going to show you how how prophetically, how God is in the final stages of that right now. But in this mindset, if God's going to separate sin from the sinner, you have to be willing to give it up. You got to be willing to give it up. So he's crowned with glory and honor. He's tasting death for every man. He's giving man a choice. By, cre- by dying on Calvary, he now creates the choice now for you to choose life. Choose life. Choose life. That's what he's teaching. But let's go a little bit further. It says in verse 10, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. In bringing many sons unto, what's it say, my friends? Glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them, what's it say, my friends? Brethren. Now, he needs or we need suffering. Now, why is that word there? Remember I told you that upon the the moment that you choose to sin, you're supposed to immediately what? Die. Have you ever met a leper? You ever seen a leper? You ever seen a picture of a leper? In the Bible, Jesus is healing lepers all the time. But if you had leprosy, what it does, it deadens the senses on your hand. And if you put your hand on the stove, you weren't paying attention, and you had leprosy, you start smelling a special smell. And you'd be like, man, that is unique. That doesn't smell like that new burger at Burger King. And then you would look back and you would see that your hand was on fire. Pain is actually a 
blessing because it tells you something is because if you did not have pain, you would just keep doing it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when I feel pain, I say something's wrong. Every time some, I say pain, Lord, come save us. Every time I hear about some tsunami, I say, Lord, come save us. Every time I see somebody, that I saw abortion pictures today, I said, Lord, come save us. Come save us, Father. We don't know what we're doing. We think we know, but we don't know. Lord, come save us. Please stop the pain. But don't stop the pain for the sake of stopping pain. I need you to stop the sin. Are you hearing what I'm saying, my friend? Stop the sin. So it goes on. Watch this now. It says he's going to bring many sons unto glory. The captain of our salvation is made perfect through suffering. Our Lord suffered. It says, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying... I will declare thy name unto, unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. Pay attention. He also himself likewise took part of the, what's it say? Of the same. That through death. He might destroy him that have the power of death, that is the devil. Now, pause for a second. Through death, he might destroy him that have the power of death, that is the devil. The only way to understand this passage, not the only way, one of the main ways you can understand this, hold your hand here in Hebrews. We're going to Romans. Watch what the Bible says. We're going to Romans. Romans. Chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, we're going to begin reading at verse number 7. Now tell me if this is a reflection of any of your experience at all. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For had I not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not? covet but sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence for without the law sin was dead for I was alive without the law once but when the commandment came sin revived and I died that's all poetic but you'll understand in a moment and the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death now why is that because the commandment tells you to don't steal but then you figure out, oh, stealing is going to lead to my death. Now it causes conviction, a burden in your mind, right? Watch what it says. Watch what it says. Verse, verse number 11. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am, what's it say, my friends? I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. 
Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not that I do. Now if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warned against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is my, in my members. And then it cries out, this is the cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now pause for a moment. In order to understand this passage, back in the Roman times, if they, one of the cruel ways they'll help you die is they would take a dead man and take a live man and they would tie the two together around the pole. They would tie them together. And in tying them together, the death of the dead man would seep into the life of the living man. And then, so these two are tied together. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Are you understanding? See, that's what's in us, my friends. We're tied to this darkness in our spirit, in our mind, and in our soul. There is, n listen, you've got to hear it. There is no good thing inside of us. And there's no deliverance from that dead man except for the next verse. What's the next verse say? Look what the next verse says. I thank God through, who's to say, my friend? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now remember, I told you, this is the devil's worst nightmare. What I'm giving you right now, I'm, I'm breaking it down in small pieces to help you understand. At the very beginning, God said, I will put enmity. I will put hatred in the heart of man for sin and every temptation that the devil gives. The devil's afraid of this. Listen, in fact, let's just keep going. Now watch Romans 8, verse 1. We're going to start reading verse 1. Watch what the Bible says. Romans 8, verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation in them which are in, who, is, who my friends? Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after what? The Spirit. Now, this is powerful. Pay attention. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of the sin and death. Now, I don't know the name of this law. I'll, I'll just do the other law that I do know. So there's a law called the law of gravity. So if you walk and you just happen to go off the roof and you're going to go what? Down. Not because you choose to, but because it's a... It's a law. But there's something else that man has created. I don't know how they do it. Some law of propulsion or something where they can fire up an engine. You put a jet pack on and you can walk off a roof, push the button, and then you go up. So that law that is making, go, making you go up is greater than the law that makes you go down. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. So a law, you must obey the law. Now, if you don't have Jesus, if the Spirit of God is not in your life, 
Whatever the flesh commands, you must do. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. You hear what I'm saying? Whatever it tells you, you must obey it. In fact, let me read it to you. Romans chapter 6. Go back to Romans chapter 6. And, and here Paul, he's preaching in Romans 6. And in Romans 6, he, he talks about us being dead in Christ, which is a beautiful, and we're going to get to that in another sermon. But I want you to particularly look at verse number 12. It says in verse number 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. What does reign mean? Have control. Very good. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So there's two laws here. You can either let sin reign or you can let the spirit reign. And I'm not, listen, when I, we have so denigrated the work of the spirit to an emotional jump around, have a dance, speak in some tongue, and not the spirit working inside of a man or inside of a woman to make them pure and clean and holy. Listen to me. There are Christians even in this room by name who have never experienced God's spirit in their lives. The Bible actually says in the last days, there will be people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They do the right things, but they don't have the experience of the Spirit in their life. What makes, you, what makes the Christian different from some altruistic man or some, some regular person that just wants to live a virtuous life? The difference is the Spirit lives within. Amen. That's the difference. So here... Back to Romans 8. Watch carefully. Verse, verse, Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, what's the word, my friends? Free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin. Where, my friends? In the flesh. Now, this is powerful. Now, the reason why this is so powerful, Jesus takes on human form. He walks, he puts this on, my friends. I often pinch this. He puts, he puts this on. This, right here. And when he puts this on, he wears it. All the feelings and emotions and all the taste buds, that all, all that's working. He puts it on. And as he lived his life on this planet for 33 and a half years, not one time did he ever break God's law. Never sinned once, never lied, never cheated, never gave in to any passion outside of what God instructed him. He lived his life, and my friends, when he lived his life, when he dies, he seals that perfect life. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? He seals that perfect life. That's his life. When he seals that life in this flesh, he condemns sin in this flesh. What do, you, what do I mean by that? What's that phrase mean? In other words, 
there is no excuse for sin. So when he walks in this flesh and temptations come and he's You know, <laughs> no sin is able to come into him. The Bible says Jesus, Jesus is talking in John chapter 12. He says, the prince of this world cometh and findeth nothing in me. Come on, man. The prince of this world cometh. He, could, he came this way, couldn't get in. Came in this way, couldn't get in. Every which way, couldn't get in. The sacrifice was preserved perfect. The lamb spotless. He condemns sin in the flesh. Now, this is so important. Now, watch this next part, my friends. Watch this. It says, it says, verse 3. I read verse 3 again, and then we're going to verse 4. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak to the flesh. Well, let me just pause it for a second. So, when you read something in the Bible, the Bible might say, Thou shall not steal, or thou shall stop smoking, or thou shall stop drinking, or thou shall not have sex with people that is not your husband or your wife, or thou shall not watch. When the Bible makes those declarations, you read it, and then your brain says, I should do that. And then when it says, I should do that, your weak flesh is going to try to attempt something that's righteous. And you're going to survive a day or two, or maybe three minutes. Not sure how long yours lasts. So you're going to see something righteous. You're going to say, that's the right thing to do. And then your flesh is going to say, I'm going to go do it. And the Bible teaches that you're going to fail every time. Every time. The Christian is never to live based on their feelings or their flesh. But watch. God sending his own son in likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the, what's it say? Flesh, but after the what? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Okay, so what am I, what am I saying? So Jesus walks and he lives a perfect life, never sins one time. That life that he lives, he offers that life to you. He's not asking you to live a different life. He's, at, he's saying, look, I want to make a trade. I want to make a trade. I'm going to take your bad habit on me, that's what he says, and I'm going to give you my perfect habit. I'm going to take your bad uh, appetite, I'll take that for me, and I'm going to give you my perfect appetite. I'm going to take your bad anger problem on me, and I'm going to give you my peace that passes all understanding. In fact, you don't believe me. Go with me to the book of Isaiah. Go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. Isaiah 53. Watch what the Bible says. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse number 1. Watch this, friends. Oh, I love the Bible. It says in Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. It's going to be out of place. It's going to look like he's not supposed to be there. 
He have no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. There's no outward beauty there. He just looks like a regular old person. But watch. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Watch this now. And we, what's it say? And we hid. Didn't, didn't we read that somewhere before? Where did we read that before? In Genesis, Adam and Eve hid. The Bible says we hid, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. Why are we hiding? Because it exposes our sins, brothers and sisters. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely, pay attention, surely he have borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, we'll pause there. You know that this is talking about Jesus as the sacrificial lamb. The Bible doesn't just teach that Jesus died to save you from sin. It actually teaches that he dies and bears your griefs and bears your sorrows. Somebody says, where was Jesus when the Twin Towers came down? He was right there. Where is Jesus when these little children are being molested? He's right there. He's bearing that grief. He's bearing that sorrow. He's not blind to that. He feels every pain. And my friends, he will judge. He will set all things in order. People are not getting away with anything under his eye. So he bears our grief and he bears our sorrows. Watch what else it says, my friends. Watch what else it says. It says in verse, verse 5, but he was wounded for, what's it say, my friends? Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and i love this part and with his stripes we are what's it say come on man with his stripes we are healed every time they beat him brothers and sisters every time they struck him he's taking our punishment He's giving his life. I mean, the way the devil has made God look like an angry God that wants to shoot lightning from his eyes as you do bad things. He's lied about God's character. He loves us, brothers and sisters. And when I say he loves us, I mean he loves us to the point where it's not that he just wants to forgive you for your sins. He wants to cleanse you from your sins. He wants to bring us up. Did you know you're a royalty? You're royalty. And royalty doesn't carry itself any old way. Royalty carries himself like sons and daughters of the Most High. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every man to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened out his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. 
for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence. He had done no violence. I love that because remember, Lucifer did violence. He had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Remember, Lucifer had deceit in his mouth. Y'all not hearing this thing? Everything that Lucifer was on the this spectrum, Jesus is on the opposite side. No lying, no cheating, no committing adultery. Righteous was he, pure. And this is, <laughs> watch this. I want to show you something else. Watch what, watch what else it says. It says in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. For he hath put him to grief, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the, of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. Now, I have a story to tell you. Now, it's just, you're, almost, you're almost awake. So my wife and I were pregnant. Notice I said we were pregnant. Amen. <laughs> and I remember the we are getting ready to go to the hospital that morning because that morning actually we were planning to wash clothes. And so I'm in the kitchen getting the final things together to clean up. We're going to go to the to the laundromat. And my wife says, I'm ready. I said, OK, yeah, I got the stuff ready for the laundry. She was like, no. I'm ready. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you're ready. Oh, okay. So I go get the bag that we're supposed to get. That was already pre-made, you know, practice all that. Got in the car. In the car, we drove down a little ways. The car broke down. <laughs> so we had to putt-putt back to the house to switch out to uh, the van that we use for literary evangelists. And we got in the van, and we started driving along. We get to the hospital. And we get into the hospital. Uh, we're very calm. Like, we're, we're, just, we're just chill. And we're like, yes, uh, my wife is uh, pregnant, and uh, we're about, she's in labor right now. And we're so calm. They're like, yeah, just take a seat right here. We're like, no, no. Her water's already broken. We just need to, you know, let's, let's move this along. So they took us in, and they left us. Like, they just took us in and they left us. She had to change into her gown or whatever. They left us. And then she's like, Andre, I need them to come back. I said, okay. So we go get them. My wife dilated from two to eight in two hours. Y'all don't understand. The women know what I'm talking about. <laughs> in two hours. Now, she's in, she's in travail. You, you understand? If you don't understand King James, you understand it now. <laughs> she's in travail. And my little girl is in there. And my wife is in pain. Now, mind you, as my wife is breathing, the way she's breathing, she's going to die because she's not breathing right. This is not what we practice in Lamar's class. And she's just going. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Lord, how do I do this? Because if I say, sweetie, you ain't breathing right, I'm dead. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. So I just prayed, Father, what do I do? And the Father impressed my mind. You breathe right. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. So I began to breathe, and she started following my breathing. And we started being on the same page. I was like, praise God, I didn't get in any trouble, you know. <laughs> we're, we're breathing. 
It got to the point where the doctors are like, we, there's nothing we could do right now. The daughter, your daughter is breached. We're going to have to have a cesarean. Now, if you know anything my, about my wife, one natural birth, one a natural birth, one a natural birth. But no, this didn't happen this way. So they, they want to have a cesarean. So I'm like, okay, I'll sign it. They're like, no, your wife has to sign it. Now, my wife's hand's going like this. <laughs> How is she going to sign anything? So I just think these people are just being cruel. So she's doing like this, and then they're like, okay, she signs it, then they separate us. Mm. They put me in a different room. They tell me to wait while they prep her for the epidural. Then finally we go in. And when we go in, or she's already laid out. They have a curtain so she can't see her body. And I'm standing there next to her, and they're opening her up. And I see this little girl that they're trying to pull out. And she has a hook head like her dad. So when they pull her out, she gets stuck. And they, they rip her back a little bit. I don't know what they were doing, but they kind of, since she started bleeding from her back. And then she comes out, she looks gray. So I'm like, what is happening right now? And my wife, she, when I asked the question what's happening, she's like, sweetie, how's everything going? I'm like, <laughs> it's all right, sweetie, it's all right. I didn't want to be like, yeah, the baby looks like it's about to die. You know, I didn't want to do that. So we're, I'm looking at the baby. And then they take this thing and they put it down her throat to kind of suck out whatever they think is blocking her from breathing. And then they, like, they take her and they, like, they're really tough with the little girl. She didn't cry, not once. So then they were like, well, we're going to have to separate the, you know, have to take the little one to the, to the room. Going to have to leave your wife. Do you want to stay with your wife or want to go with the baby? I look at my wife and I say, can I go with the baby? She said, yes. I said, okay. So I go with the baby. So going there with the baby, and I'm praying because now my baby's not breathing, really. Not really. And then finally, after a few minutes, I'm praying, and they finally put the thing down her throat again, and they suck up the, the whatever that was in her throat, and then she let out this most wonderful sound. It was, <laughs> cries out. My wife is wheeled around, and then they give her to my wife. And my wife, through all that mess, holds this little one like it was the best thing ever. She saw the travail of her soul. Y'all not hear what I'm saying. She saw the travail of her soul, and she's okay. Satisfied. And here the Bible likens his children to the birth experience that a mother would have. Now, my friends, I want to take a few more moments here. I know it's past eight, but I want, to, I want to take our minds just a little bit further with this. I want us to go to Matthew chapter 24, and I want you to see what the prophet was writing about. Matthew 27, I'm sorry, Matthew 27. And we're going to read verse 24 and on. And I want you to be prayerful as we read the text and ask God to give you a vivid scene of what we are reading. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 24, the Bible states, When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather atonement was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, 
And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that, they mocked him. They took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were coming to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And set up over his head the accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Verse 38. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. I'll read that again. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, my friends, I'm going to give you a hint. You may have never seen this before. But you can see through the cry of these men that are saying these words that the devil is scared to death. He's telling Jesus, come down from the cross. Save yourself. Why is he scared? Because you see... If Jesus dies and never sin one time, the devil's death is sealed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he's scared. Save yourself. Come down from there. Don't die up there, man. Do you, do you understand that the cross was actually a cruel invention of Satan to stop Jesus from dying? designed as a means of torture because what the devil wanted him to do was focus on your physical pain. But let me tell you something. The sin of the whole entire world was upon Jesus. That physical pain paled in comparison to the darkness and separation that he was feeling from his father. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Calvary, he's being tempted to come off the cross Notice verse 41, the thieves say the same thing. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders and said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him, de let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, what? I am the son of God. And the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now, brothers and sisters, watch this. 
Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbatani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, my friends, we cannot fully understand that except to know that sin caused such separation between Jesus and his father that it appeared to Jesus that his father was not there. But I want to tell you something. The father clothed himself. He was right there. The father was right there. Jesus clothed, um, the father clothed himself, but the separation was so thick and so real. Now, my friends, that separation is the second death. Not one of us wants to have that separation. The one thing that causes that separation is sin. And I, I named it sin, but you know what that sin is in your life. It's sin that causes separation. God does not want anything to cause separation between him and us. He wants to be like this. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. Tonight, do you have the, the cards for me? He's going to give you a card, and you're going to make a decision tonight. And as you think about the decision that you're going to make, I want you to be prayerful. You see, at Calvary, <laughs> the death of Satan was sealed. But I want you to think about this for a moment. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, he would have been just like everybody else. Tomorrow night, when we talk about sex, violence, and the New World Order, I'm going to give you the key to why Pentecost was so powerful and why it transpired. And when you begin to understand that, you're going to begin to understand where we are supposed to be in our relationship with Jesus today. We are not living in any ordinary time. We're living in a special time, a special fellowship. I'm going to keep reading the passage, and then I'm going to have my special music come up. Verse 47 says, some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let it be. Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghosts. And behold, the veil of the temple was written twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake. And the rocks rent, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came up out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And watch verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. My friends, I want to ask you the question, is Jesus the Son of God to you? Is he everything to you? There's nothing, no one more important than him. 
So tonight as my sister comes up, come on up, as she sings, commit yourself to God and give Jesus permission to rule and be king in your life. music continues to play, I want to, I'm impressed to read a passage to you, not a long one, <laughs> but it's in Romans 8, and I want to read from verse 4. The purpose of Jesus dying. It says in verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. I read it again. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. 
What is the carnal mind, my friends? The carnal mind hates God. Then it says, For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. My appeal is simple. Not everyone has a card, so I'm just going to do a general one. If you're trying to live a Christian life with a carnal mind, tonight I'm going to ask that you repent. Tonight I'm just going to ask that you repent. Don't, don't try to live a Christian life with a carnal mind. I want a spiritual mind. Don't you want a spiritual mind? I want God's Holy Ghost to take full and complete control. That is not some random, he's going to come in and I'm going to be a robot. That's not what it is. He's going to come in, and he's going to say, let's go this way. And you're going to say, yes, Lord, I'll go that way. And once you say yes, he is now your strength to do that which is right. So I want a spiritual mind. I want the mind of Christ, not the mind of the devil. If it's your desire to have the mind of Jesus and have the mind of Christ, I want you to stand with me tonight. You want the mind of Christ? Just stand with me tonight. Father in heaven, Nearly every soul is stood. By standing, we acknowledge, Father, that our carnal minds are not going to do it anymore. Father, we are accepting the reality of your Son, the sacrifice of your Son, the life of your Son. We're accepting the power of your Holy Spirit to live a life that is pure and holy and clean. Father, seal our decisions. Father, take our hearts, for we cannot give them there your property. Keep them, for we cannot keep them for thee. Save us from ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves. And raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the currents, rich currents of your love, can truly flow through our souls. Please, Lord, do this for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated.